Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Thought before we get into uh, First Peter, just a quick uh, since at the beginning of Advent today, uh, and a quick review. You probably know all this stuff, but um, just thought we might uh, uh, just a, a definition uh, of of what Christmas is. Um, I mentioned in the sermon today, like just. People are sometimes confused about what words mean, and they use the word Christmas for a lot of things that aren't really Christmas. Um, you, I mean, you've seen that the origin of the word meaning it's the Christ plus Mass, Mass meaning the divine service with the communion service, um, and it is an annual festival. It is December 25th, so like, what is Christmas? When does Christmas start? It is December 25th. That's... Um, it is, and also, also, then it is a church festival. That's, like, by definition, it is, a, so, like, again, like, people using Christmas for things that aren't related, have nothing to do with church, you know. Um, uh, it's just, what I think people mean when they say Christmas, they mean December. Or they mean maybe winter. <coughs> um, and that's okay, it just, they're just, they just, they talk like they've been, you know. Um, some say it's a legal holiday, memory of the birth of Christ. It's celebrated by church service. Well, and that's, that's kind of in the word itself, right? Uh, in the Mass and other things. Things that come along with it, but the center of it is the Christ, the festival of Christ's activity. Um, so, which means then that we're not in Christmas yet, right? Um, today, Mark's said, although this year it seemed like people were like all in Advent already, or already at Christmas, we had a lot of Christmas concerts already. Um, it wasn't even Advent yet, but um, people do that. Um, the, when does some of this confusion about when Advent starts? The technical, uh, like the <coughs> definition, or it's, uh, if you want to figure out when it starts, it's the Sunday closest to St. Andrew's Day, which is November 30th. So that was Thursday this, this past week, and so this Sunday, is the closest make and the other way you figure that out is you've got four Sundays before uh, before Christmas this year it's confusing for people because December 24th is a Sunday and sometimes people will think well December 24th that's Christmas Eve so that's Christmas that's still before Christmas um, church in the morning so that this year will be an interesting thing when we get to the fourth Sunday it is December 24th uh, Christmas Eve is, again, by definition, when? In the evening, right? And so uh, Advent 4, the fourth Sunday in Advent, is in the morning, um, and then the evening. So the, the, the shift from, Christ, from Advent to Christmas happens um, at the beginning, uh, in, in the evening of the Feast of Christ. So it's four Sundays prior to Christmas. It's a season of repentance, preparation, waiting, um, which is not, I think that Advent is a very countercultural uh, season for us, because, and not just now, always. I think people have always had a hard time waiting. We just maybe, as things get faster, and you know, as our phones get faster, we get more irritated when they get slow. Something that would have, you know, uh, get used to the speed, and then now, now we can. Um, so waiting is always a hard thing. But you know, um, I think it was. Uh, Can't think of his name. Uh, uh, the, the church is good at waiting. We've been doing it for 2,000 years. That's kind of what we, by definition, are all about. The world can't wait. The world always has to have as much as it can have as soon as possible. 
the unbelieving world that is. All they have is this life. And so, you know, the, the quick, we're like, you know, it doesn't matter until Jesus comes. <laughs> like, we're waiting. We got time. We're okay. Um, that's kind of our, our weight uh, in this. And we, so this should be natural for us. But we should understand that if outside of Christians, waiting is kind of a, like, what, why would you do that? Um, well, we say, well, because we have to, because Jesus hasn't come yet. We're like, Jesus isn't coming, so, you know, so we're used to waiting. Um, the, the color violet is, is the, the historic color uh, for this. Um, you'll see we will have blue in a lot of churches. During, starting in the 60s, 60s, 70s, um, companies started selling blue pyramids, and people bought, I mean, this was a, a thing, um, but, uh, and then, then change sort of the, the symbolism. Uh, violet, and that, that explains the rose color. So for the third sun, and, and you'll see that reflected on the advent wreath with the third pink colored candle. Um, and that is all based on the text for the Sunday, where the third Sunday has this lighter, the, the intro it is rejoice in the Lord always from Philippians 4. Uh, and so it's like sucking the darkness out of the violet and that leaves you with rose colored. So some churches will actually have rose colored pyramids for that day instead of just the candle. Um, and that's what the, the, the emphases and the, the themes of the Sundays really come from the text. These Latin titles, those are the beginning of the introit. You'll hear that today uh, from Psalm 25 to you. I lift up my, uh, I lift up my soul. Uh, and um, yeah, as you get into, you've got this Sunday is this coming of Christ. Palm Sunday is the gospel. Um, Hosanna in the highest. Jesus is coming lowly, riding on a donkey. Then the second Sunday deals with Jesus coming at the end of the world. Uh, lift up your heads, for your redemption is drawing nigh. When everyone else is going I, um, crazy, <laughs> let's just say, um, they're just, they see the world, and, and when things upset them, they just fly off the handle, and, and Jesus says, no. When you see these things that are going crazy, lift up your head, straighten up for your redemption, and rejoice because your redemption is drawing here. You know? So, like, when, when it looks like the world is just getting worse and worse and worse, and it's crazy, and it's like, Jesus says, ah, he's got to be coming soon. And we're like, all right. Buckle up. Um, Jesus has got this. We're, we'll be good. Um, then rejoice. And then these last two, these, these point us starting to John the Baptist. Both have John the Baptist. Um, uh, the two different accounts uh, in these last two Sundays. The symbol, the main symbol for Advent is the Advent wreath. Originally was in homes. It was a devotional tool for homes. Uh, but eventually it kind of shifted and, and was brought into the, the church. The um, the they, they reflect, they didn't always have the colors of the, of the pyramids. Like, I think originally, this is like in 1830s Germany or something like that, um, where a, a pastor develops, it was like, oh, what was it? it? It was not just four candles, it was, there was, there were four candles for the Sundays, but then they had like six candles in between for each of the days in between the Sundays. And so you'd set it out and you'd have a day. And the idea is simply growing light. Candles always in church always represent the, the, the presence of Christ, the light of the world. Um, that's the main symbolism there. Isn't some of the 
song, Somber, and Advent Season? Um, I thought somebody said that. They, they could be. I, I, it is a penitential season, so like it's a little bit more, a little bit muted, but not as much as Lent. Um, you know, and um, because, and you know, somber in a sense, when you're looking forward to the end of, to Christ's return, there's sort of a little bit of that. Um, it is a season of repentance, but um, yeah, it's, it, it's not Lent. Yeah, so it's not quite the same. So we don't, we do drop um, uh, the, the Glory and Excelsis, which is the greatest, you know, kind of the big song of praise in the liturgy next to the Sanctus. Um, but we don't drop hallelujahs. It's still, a, it's, it, it's not Lent. <laughs> but we, we do sort of pull back a little bit because it is a fasting time preparing for a feast. Um, so it, it prepares us for these natural cycles uh, of life. Um, the, the, the candles, uh, so, so the, the symbolism of the four candles simply represents the four Sundays. Um, I know that, so, and, and my best, you've maybe seen some explanation of like saying this is the like, uh, the, the, there's two sets. One is like, it's like uh, hope, joy, peace, and love or something like that, but I don't know which order they're going. Um, and then another one is, um, and I don't know which order that was in either. It's like prophecy, Bethlehem, shepherds and angels, or angels and shepherds, it's those four things. Um, those are real things, uh, but I th I th best that I can track that down to is that the supply warehouses, the, the catalogs, in, in packaging their, their candles that they were selling, came up with little descriptions of that. Um, those can, if those are useful to someone, but there's nothing in the, in the season of Advent that directs those. It's just, it's kind of one, two, three, four. It's growing light through the season. It's fine if someone wants to. Those, those, those hope, peace, joy, and love are wonderful. Are wonderful uh, virtues, but uh, but they don't necessarily tie. And, and, and there's we kind of vary in which one goes with which one. So Advent. So then Advent goes the four Sundays up until Vespers on on Christmas Eve, and then Christmas uh, is December 25th. The date comes from, uh, so you, if you ever hear someone say that the Christmas, the Christians just uh, over uh, took, there was a pagan festival on the 25th of December and the Christians wanted to kind of uh, squash that so they overtook December 25th. Actually, the, the date comes from an, uh, another date, March 25th, which is the Feast of the Annunciation. Uh, celebrating Mary's, uh, the announcement of Gabriel to Mary that she's going to conceive. Uh, and so you count nine months from there, you get December 25th. And that's an earlier date before that other festival ever existed. Um, so uh, the, the Christians didn't pick December 25th because of any other, any pagan thing. They picked it because of March 25th and they added nine months. They just did math. Um, uh, the, the divine service, the mass on, on the Christ, feast of Christ's nativity, but that the Christ, Christmas extends not just on a the, 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 the day of Christmas, but there are actually 12 days of Christmas. You've heard that before, right? 12 days of the 12 days of Christmas. Um, and that extends from Christmas to Epiphany, 
Uh, and so the ones I, the things I have listed here are in the old hymnal, the, the Lutheran hymnal from 1941. Uh, those are the, in the, the front part of the hymnal where they list like all the meetings and things like that. These are all the, the, the days that are listed during that, that time where they have, they have separate readings for it. You've got Christmas Day, but then you have the second Christmas Day. Um, in Box Day in the 1700s, they had a third Christmas Day too. Uh, sometimes those days would be celebrating the second day of Christmas is December 26th. That's St. Stephen's Day. Um, so you know, you've heard that's in a Christmas carol. On the feast of Stephen, it's the day after Christmas. Um, the third day of Christmas, December 27th, is the feast of St. John. So those could be celebrated on those days. But you at least had, um, so you had like Luke 2, you know, like maybe 1 to something on Christmas Day, and then Luke 2, 14 to 20 on the second Christmas Day, and then the sun, Sunday after Christmas, then you have the next section, so you spread it out over several days, Sunday after Christmas, and it depends on the year, you either have a Sunday after Christmas or you have a Sunday after the New Year. Sometimes you have two Sundays after Christmas within the Christmas season. It depends on where it falls in the week, right? So you have a, you're going to have Sundays in there too, so you, you Definitely have church on Sundays, but then they would have these other days too. And then they would also have one on the January 1st, not because it was New Year's Day, but it was the, the eighth day, the day that Jesus was circumcised and named. So Easter floats around. Christmas yeah. is on the same number because of the name, Aaron and the thing. It's, it, it's always on the 25th because of that March 25th thing. So it's, yeah, it's set on a day. Um, whereas Easter's always on a Sunday, and so it moves. Okay. Yeah. And that's also based on the lunar. There's a, there's a, and there's a whole debate about that, about whether it should be on the Sunday, Sunday one out on Easter. But yes, so it's because it's this day. Um, and they had other, we've talked about that too before. There were other days in the church year that were like this, December 25th, that you know, it, it moves around because it's on a specific day. Like Epiphany is that way too. That's tied to this cycle. But um, St. Michael and all angels, for example, all of those feast days, but once that they celebrated. And they, just like we call this Christmas, they called St. Michael and all angels Michaelmas. Or Michaelmas. Michaelmas was. And, and you'll see that re re reference in old literature. They just, people just knew. You, you would talk about the Michaelmas term of school. Um, they would name their, you know, they would name stuff after the, the time when that happened. And it's September 29th, and so it had a lot of, like, harvest um, connections, uh, Michaelmas did. Uh, so this is just the only one that we have kind of left. And the symbol, the main symbol uh, for Christmas, even though this too, just like the Advent wreath, started in the home, so did the Christmas trees. Um, started as a home decoration. People brought Christmas trees into their homes. It, I, I don't know. There's, you, can, you can read on the internet if you want to find out. People have looked up to see who was the first pastor uh, to bring. There's a Lutheran connection in this, in that to the Christmas tree. Um, but it was uh, interesting. Like today, it's not, although everything's kind of Christmas now in December, but um, it was a Christmas tree. And so oftentimes wasn't put up. Some of you might remember um, times when it was reserved for Christmas. Like it didn't get, you know, maybe it got put up, but it didn't get lit until Christmas. Uh, interestingly, I did a little, uh, the National Christmas Tree. Are you familiar with this at all? The National Christmas Tree on the, the grounds of the White House, I guess. 
um, in DC. It's been lit since uh, uh, 1923. The first year, they actually cut a tree down and put it up, but then the next year, Calvin Coolidge said, um, he, in some other speech, he said that people shouldn't cut down trees to, for Christmas trees, and so ever since then, it's been a living tree that they transplanted and, and have there. It's a, it's a live tree that they decorate and put. But the, the origin of it was the, and I forget the name of the council, some uh, lobbying group for the, the promotion of electric, electric use. It was like the National Electric Council or something like that. Wanted to promote, they thought it would be a good idea if the president flipped the switch and, and he, they showed the president using electric lights in 1923. It was a commercial, <laughs> is what it was. But it's become a tradition um, every year since then. Uh, and the president always flips the switch. And there's been you know different times where you know he was somewhere else, and so they made a big deal of him flipping the switch somewhere else. But then there's a large stretch of time where the button that he pressed didn't actually do anything. Someone else had a button at the same time. <laughs> Just so, he, so he didn't mess it up or something like that. Um, interestingly, though, so the, when did they light the national Christmas tree? It starts in 1923, um, Christmas Eve. 3 p.m. Christmas Eve, 1923, Calvin Coolidge um, does it. And it stays that way up until like 1953. It's Christmas Eve every day. And then what happens? It's interesting. So, um, so starting in 1923, we've got several dates here all the way to 2020. It starts on, on December 24th. Until then, it just goes, keeps getting earlier and earlier. So in 2020, it was on November 30th. Um, <laughs> just kind of does what everything else does. Um, but once they did it, one, one interesting one is like in 1963, it did, they moved it back. I don't have that date in here. Um, it went back to the 23rd. Um, I guess maybe. No, that's 1963. Anyway, 1963, they, had to do, they did it on the 23rd because President Kenny had been shot, had assassinated, and there was a 30-day period of mourning. And so... They, had, they waited to light the tree until the, the morning period was over. I just thought that was interesting. And um, the same thing. Let's do something here. We um, have gone through 16 verses. We've got 17 through 21. Um, anything from before that that you want to ask about before we go into verses 17 through 21? That's clever, but... <laughs> I'd like to say I did, but no. Okay. No? All right, so let's read, because we haven't done this section, so let's read uh, verses, and I think that's all up on here, so if you want to fall there, you can. Um, I should ignore the highlighting. Ah, now I messed it. There we go. So in verse 17. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope 
are in God. All right. So just to remember, you know, he had been talking about their um, not being conformed to the passions of their former ignorance, but be holy, that is, as for, be holy as I am holy. Um, now, uh, if you call on him as father, we should think about that. What does that mean, that we call on God as father? If you call on him who's... So the, our adoption as, as children of God, that it reflects that, that relationship. What is our relationship? It's God as father. When, when we say we call on him as father, that indicates something too, right? We, we do that, and, and so then we call on him. Our, our mind probably goes to, like, prayer, right? And, and so what is, what is Jesus? How does Jesus teach his disciples to pray? He says, when you pray, say, our Father. So, which is also one, always wonderful, that Jesus teaches us to pray our Father, his Father. And he, there is it's his invitation says, you can call him that, too. You know, you, you call him Father, too. Um, but what is that? What is that calling on him? So it is, it, it, prayer would be a reflection of that, but what essentially is it? What is he getting at? This is, there are many, there's not, might be some who, well, Jesus will say, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, he could say, not everyone who says to me, Father, Father, just that we call him Father, doesn't, you know, you can call someone Father, it doesn't make him your Father, right? <coughs> What, what is being said when we say, if you call on him as father? That we are his. Yeah, and that we actually <laughs> believe that? Yeah. yeah. I think that, that, you, that sort of could be shorthand because um, that it, it, there's a part of it that says, if you believe in him as your father. Uh, that it's a reflection of faith. And that's what prayer is. Prayer is an exercise of faith, right? Because God speaks to us, prayer is our like speaking to God. How do we how how do we have the right even to speak to God? He speaks to us first, and from Him, just like a parent or a child learns to speak from their parent, the parent speaks, baby responds and reacts or imitates, and so we do that too. God speaks to us; He makes promises to us. We speak them back to Him in faith. Yeah, He says. I love you, we say, you love me, um, or love me. Yeah, he says, I forgive you all your sins, and we pray, forgive us all our sins. <laughs> um, and, and us doing that is us, when, when we pray to God according to his promises, we are taking God at his word. And, we're, and that's what essentially amen really means. It says, God, what you said to me, that's true. I believe it. Yes, Amen. <laughs> To what you said, I believe that, and he's so. Why is it that we call on God as Father? What um, you know? So we're children of God, but what does that mean? What does it mean to be a father? Um, this is an important distinction that we that we keep in mind. That that God calls on calls Himself Father, says we call Him Father, but it's not like we call Him Father. Well, like, well, you know, God, you're kind of like my dad. My dad did these things, and you're kind of like that. So that's why we call God Father. That's not the case. Maybe for some of you, 
Um, some of us have dads that are, you know, very godlike. Not all of us. Um, well, we should, but who is the who's the, the pattern and who's the, the copy? Right? The, the pattern is not our father, our, our, our human fathers. The pattern, the, the true, the real father is God. That is what he is. And then what does God do in making and creating us in this world that we live in and, and our he creates fathers. He makes them after what pattern? His image. After his image, after himself. Um, that is broken in this fallen world. But you do have a, a, a glimpse of it. When fathers do what fathers are to do, they reflect the love of God to their children. It's similar to the way the husbands and wives do that too, right? They're reflecting the love of Christ for his church. That's the real. That's the perfect reality. That he's made us and to, to work like that too. But he is the he is the father. Uh, we call our father's father after him. Yeah. Uh, you call it, but what father uh, is the father who judges impartially? Um, so, which is also like. When, when he says, you call him as father. Not just any father. What kind of father? A father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. Now that might trouble us a little bit. And I don't want to be judged by God according to my deeds. That doesn't... That, that sounds dangerous. Um, but that's what it says. He judges impartially according to each one's deeds. And it's not, it's not only here. Um, I'm going to flip a tab here over to... And we sometimes get a little bit, get, get, maybe, I don't know about you, but you get a little nervous, you get to the end of the Athanasian Creed, and it says Jesus will come again to judge, and he will judge, uh, and they, basically the Athanasian Creed quotes this verse, and some of the people will, like object to it, and they're like, sorry, Jesus said it. So, uh, but this is what Jesus says, that, that hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice come out, sorry, this is so small, um, will hear his voice come out, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Those who have done good. And we heard that just a couple weeks ago, too, when, you know, Jesus, the sheep and the goats. And, you know, at the judgment, it says, you, I was hungry and you gave me. And, and then he says to those on his left, sorry, uh, he says to those on his left, I was hungry and you did not on what they did. And then also Romans 2, verse 6 show you a little context there, where he says, he will render to each one according to his works. Wait a second. Um, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. So how do we justify that with, we are saved, by grace we've been saved through faith, and this is not by works, so that no one can boast. How do we, um, or it just, that's in Romans 2 here, Romans 3. Um, saved, let me turn to it. Romans 3, um, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. There is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Um, 
you know, what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. But what kind of law? By a law of work? No, by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Luther says, since he asked the question, since we say that God saves us by faith alone without any regard for our works, why does St. Peter say that God does not judge with respect to person but according to works? You don't keep track of what you do. Um, basically, you just do and so, think about it. Yeah, so not keeping track shows that we're not doing it in order to be saved. But that doesn't mean we don't, you know, that we're saved doesn't mean we say, well, okay, great, now I don't have to do anything. And I don't then. Well, that, that, what, whoa, whoa. <laughs> um, so we can say that faith versus good works. But good works doesn't necessarily have faith. You know, if you well, yeah, see if people, they are good you works. See two people do things, yeah. right? Well, right. I suppose you could say the definition of good works means yeah. there's faith present, but you should see two people doing the same thing, helping the shelter or whatever. So, so one can have faith, one could be doing good works. And they could be doing on the outside the very same thing. Right. Right. Which, and we sometimes will talk about a civil righteousness, which is just like between people, we say this is something that's good. Right? They do a good work, what we would call something that we would call good. But that does not necessarily make it good in the eyes of God. Because God is going to teach us that without faith it is impossible to please God. And that apart from faith, works are not good. Even though faith, to our eyes, and they're good in a sense, in a civil sense. Um, so it could be the same, the very same work. Uh, and so what is this, what is it saying that he judges impartially according to each one's deeds, but where do those deeds come from? What, what is, um, uh, I think Luther says it, um, well, we, without, without faith there are no good works. In, in the divine sense, before God. Um, we talk about that, um, coram, the, the Latin word in the phrase is coram deo, before God in the presence of God versus before man. In the eyes of man, something can be good. But before God, it does not please him if it is not done from faith. Uh, because he wants trust. He doesn't... He can get a monkey to do something good. Right? Uh, but that's not the, the good that he's, he's seeking. Because what is his command? Remember, his command is love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. That's and, and, and if even if I so I didn't commit adultery, but I did not love God, then then that doesn't that, that doesn't win win points just because I didn't kick the cap. Um, so, good works are the result of faith. Uh, so, and this, and this is true. So, like, on the, on the last day, Jesus sees you, I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. But the, the context of the scripture teaches us that what are, where did these deeds come from? And as you pointed out, like, they don't even know that they did them. And that, that's telling to us. Like, they didn't count, right? They weren't keeping track of it in order to earn their salvation. They just did them. Why? Because they had faith. 
right? Out of, uh, just a, a natural spring. On the other hand, those the, those on his left, they're like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a second. When did when did we see you when we didn't do that? So I thought we were pretty good. They were they were trying to keep count, but they were counting wrong. All right. So he judges, and this is important. You, if you call on him who judges impartially, and impartially, meaning he doesn't just because you call on him as father, treat you nicer. He's a father who judges impartially. He doesn't play favorites. He deals on the basis of deeds which come from faith. Uh, and since you call on a father, particularly one who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, therefore conduct yourselves with fear. Meaning, because you understand this um, about the Father, therefore you, you conduct yourselves with fear. But we need to talk about that fear. And I have two terms uh, that you might not have come across, maybe you have. Um, the term servile fear and filial fear. Uh, let's def define it first. Uh, servile, you hear the word servant in there. So that's where it comes from. Uh, so it's like a slavish, you might call it slavish fear. It's the fear of punishment. Purely fear of punishment and pain. And so the, the, the fear of God just so that you don't get in trouble. Whereas his filial fear, uh, fili, uh, in Latin, is son. It's childlike fear. It's, it's the fear um, that in a, in a healthy parent-child relationship, that a child has a certain amount of fear of his parents, of, of let's, say, let's say dad, afraid of upsetting him, uh, making him angry. Uh, Luther says, uh, as a pious child is afraid that he may anger his father and do something displeasing to him. Why? Not because necessarily because he's afraid of punishment. I mean, that might be part of it, but I think a loving father, like he, his job can be a, have a certain amount of fear of him. One, because he's bigger, I suppose. That's part of it. But, but the child loves his father. Okay? And because he loves his father, because he looks up to him, he doesn't want to let him down. Um, that's the kind of fear. So you'll, you'll see the word fear, but there's two different, there's two different kinds. There's a servile fear and a, and a filial fear. Sometimes we'll kind of soften it and say, well, it doesn't really mean fear. It just means respect. And I think that's a part of a filial fear. But I think there's, there's, there is also a part of a, of a filial fear, of a childlike, child of God, fear of God. That, you know, so we say in the catechism, you know, um, what, what does God say about all these commandments? He said, you know, I, I look at God and the jealous God punishing the children for the sin of the Father. He's punishing the children for the sin of the fathers. Uh, what does this mean? Um, God threatens to punish all who transgress these commandments. Therefore, we should fear his wrath. So, if we should, then we should probably fear his wrath and not do anything against them. Not because we're just simply afraid of God and, you know, like we would go, you know, it's out of faith, it's out of love for him, that we don't want to conduct yourselves with fear. Yeah. Um, yes. I'll, although I think that potentially that servile fear could be an awe too. Yeah. 
You know, think of, um, think of Isaiah in Isaiah 6, and he sees the vision of the throne of God. He says, I'm ruined, I'm a man of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king. I don't know what that I mean, I think it would be included. That is kind of a filial fear that he has too. But I think the unbeliever will be full of awe too when, when the judgment comes, I think. Um, so, so that could go both ways. But, it, but yeah, it is um, maybe the addition for the Christian, for the, for the child of God, is, is, a, is an awe of affection. You know, it's like I don't I don't know I, I don't know how things like him phrases hit you, but like um, even you know something like uh, in this all for all the saints, the King of Glory passes on his way, and just you know the, the King of Glory when he finally comes, um, when this him phrases do this, and like Jesus is going to come. What does that make you fear? feel? Not that feeling is the only thing here. But this, uh, come and take your people home. <sighs> like like there's, a, there's a longing to be, um, or at the end of the, the hymn of the day last week, Wake, Awake. Um, Is this, uh, I don't know what it is in English. Uh, lightning longer. Uh, don't remain any longer. Just don't. Come on. Come, come quickly, Lord Jesus. This is that cry. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Um, we want him to come. <laughs> you know, and I know that this is going to be, the, you know, when Jesus comes in his glory. We'll see. You'll hear this next week. When Jesus comes in his glory, this is going to freak out the rest of the world. And we're going to be like standing there with our heads up like Jesus says, lift up your head for your redemption draws near. There's a feeling. I think that'll still have a fear of God. But it's the, it's the fear of a child. Um, throughout the time of your exile, so we had the, in the opening verse of the letter, um, Peter writes to those in exile, those strangers elect exiles. Um, but realize they're not exiles in the sense that they've been driven from their homeland it's not like the Jews in the Jewish diaspora where they were in the Holy Land and now they're in Asia Minor. But like wherever Christians are, you're in a foreign land because this isn't your home. This is as we recognize this, right? And, but it's, so as long as you're in this exile, um, which makes those parts of the Bible, which we maybe don't spend that much time with, but the parts of the Bible that Sunday School has been studying in, which has been a challenge, but it's these parts of the of the Bible where, where the, the, the Old Testament believers are sent into exile, like to go to Babylon. They're, what are they doing, Daniel today, maybe? Or it's the three men in the fiery furnace, maybe, today? No. They're, they're in a foreign land. Um, how do you live this way? Um, the, the three men in the fiery furnace, they have, to, they have to face this question of, do I just bow the knee? Just do what they expect me to do, and I'll stay out of trouble. You keep your jobs, you know what? You know, there's a, I think it's this one, where the king comes back to him and says, you know what, guys? If you just do this, no problem. No harm will come to you if you just bend to the knee. Um, when, the, when you hear the sound of the pipe, horn, trigon, you hear that at the Easter vigil. Um, when you hear this, it just, you know, just write down what you think that we need to hear, and no harm will come to you. 
um, we've got, we may have to face questions like that and um, conduct yourselves with fear. Throughout the time of your exile, we realize this. So, so this fear then um, puts us in a position in this world, in, the, in our exile, where um, there will be people who will expect us to fear them more than God. And we're going to be in the position of either being more afraid of what man will do to me, or, see, again, there's that, that's the other side of it. It's I'm more afraid, and I'm not afraid when I, if I say, um, you know, when I stand in the pulpit, I, I do that with a certain trepidation. And, and what I have to watch out for is that I'm not more afraid of you than, for, than of God. Because those thoughts go through a preacher's mind. Do I say something that's going to make him upset? But it's what God has given in his word. You're like, I might know that. <laughs> or suspect that. It might, I don't know, you know how people react. But you have this, yeah, maybe I should soften that up. Because so, they're not going to like that very much. There I'm being more afraid of you than of God. Um, which also then puts your perspective like you, you would not want to put the pressure on someone, whether that's a pastor or um, your children or just someone else, that you, you would give them reason to, to be more afraid of you than of God. Um, we should encourage one another um, and honor that when, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah, conduct yourselves with fear. That doesn't mean like a terror, like we're living in terror. Like someone, if I say I'm more afraid of God than of you, um, that doesn't mean I'm shaking in my boots uh, from God. Uh, is, my, is my father. But I, and, and so like I, yeah, I can use the phrase, I have more respect, more reverence for him than for you. Doesn't mean I don't for you. Um, but when, when it comes down to it, I, uh, all right, verse 18. Knowing that you are, so we're going to do this, our, our, our behavior, our life in this world. Um, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Not with perishable silver or gold. We'll get to that. We talked about this ransom. Ransom means to buy back. But what are we being ransomed from? Here it says, from the feudal ways inherited bought from your forefathers. Um, this is one of those passages that leads uh, commentators to, when they're figuring out who Peter's writing to in Asia Minor. Like, is he writing mainly to Jews or mainly to Gentiles? I think this is one of those verses that suggests that mainly toward Gentiles. If you're talking about their forefathers, the Jews, um, it, it could apply. Um, it's not like Jewish forefathers were that much different, but what kind of feudal ways might those be? What were the ways of their forefathers? So, so that could be, and that could be either for Jews or Gentiles, idolatry. Um, they worshipped other gods. That was a way, and that is a feudal way, right? The worshipping uh, Isaiah makes it does a good job of like making fun of. The, the, the idolaters, you know, who take a, you know, you cut down a tree, right? And part of it you fashion into your idol and you, you bow down to it and say, I, you are my God, and then the, the rest of it you cut into firewood and you, you cook your supper on it. 
<laughs> and so this is your God, right? It's the same thing that you cook yourself around. Um, that, that this is a God that does not hear, does not speak. These are mute idols. So that is vain, right? You try, it, or like, um, you know, Elijah and the prophets of Baal, you know, and, and the, the, again, Again, like he's making fun of them for doing this. They're 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 you know cutting themselves and they're like crying out, trying to get the god you know their gods, the bales to, to light the fire for the sac- sacrifice. And he's just sitting there, you know, making fun of them. Like, well, maybe he's maybe he's sleeping. Maybe your god's sleeping. Maybe you should let yell louder. That'll work. Or maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's going to the bathroom. You know, who knows what he's doing? Um, which is which is interesting to see. Um, God's people and the prophets making fun of folly. If something is foolish, they call it foolishness. That's, you know, so there is a place for making fun of things that are foolish. Um, we, that could certainly go too far if we kind of have an vindictiveness about it. But sometimes what's dumb needs to be called dumb. <laughs> um, the Bible does it. We want to be careful about you know, being uncharitable always. But, um, uh, yeah, futile. It's empty. You could try all day long, and they tried that with the, you know, Baal. Um, they tried that long. Uh, Elijah prays, and, you know, they had soaked the whole thing with water, and God does that immediately. But they're, they're futile ways. I think that that would be uh, part of it. Any other thoughts that could, you know, silver and gold, you know, listed there? That is a monetary thing that's endured, where other monies have gone away with something that, that sticks around, which is the opposite of these things that don't. Right? And so and they could have put things such as the American dollar or something on there <laughs> that may not endure like silver and gold. No, I mean, even cotton dollar bills like don't—they last longer than. Some a lot of paper, but you know, it's still it's still perishable. You know? And then the the amount of value that it has can go away like that too. Um, I think that so we think of the like the things that they that their forefathers did, like the idolatrous, or you could just you could talk about their their wicked not just their idolatry, but their wickedness. You know the. the um, that something that they were that you were ransomed from, um, ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your fathers. That if they were pagans and they, you know, not just idolatrous, but maybe adulterous, or you know, part of that idolatry was a, a, a sexual immorality, oftentimes. Um, but if that was part of, you know, if that was something that's handed down from your forefathers, the, their ways, none of those are good. And you, you know. To be ransomed from that, to be rescued out of that, you know that that people oftentimes uh, live a life that's very similar to their that of their parents and few previous generations, yeah, um, because that's what they saw growing up and they lived that way, and that could involve wickedness, right, sin, um, but it would also, I think, the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers would be those things that. That are that we would call even good. You know, we're talking about good works that aren't in God's eyes good. Why not? Because they're not done in faith. So where where people try to do good in order to please God, right? 
And again, on the outside, that can appear like a fantastic good work, but it's futile because it can't earn you your it can't earn you heaven. Um, and so, you know, we to be to be ransomed from those ways of trying to um, trying to do religion without Jesus, essentially. Could they also be talking about um, you know you bring up the idea of uh, sacrifices given that no longer there had to be sacrifices in the Old yeah. Testament and now we're in the New Testament. Yeah, sacrifices there. And that was a big part of their world. Right, right. And so, so there too. You you think you you do something for the God. And the God then rewards you by not squashing you, right. or something like that. You know, or you know, you offer so that so that the God uh, doesn't ruin your crops or something like that, right? Um, but you do something to try to appease. But for the God, not necessarily an idol, but for God, that, that yeah. doesn't necessarily need that. And you were so used to doing these things, but did you really prepare your heart, kind of thing? Yeah. Um, and, and so they could, so that, that, so that Jewish Christians whose forefathers did all the sacrifices, but, but that, we're going to get to the blood here, because that would have been blood that was shed for the sacrifice too. Is, if it's not done, if it's not the blood of Jesus or not pointing to the blood of Jesus, it's not, doesn't, this is not going to help you. Feudal ways, hand down from your so it involves, it could involve wickedness, it could involve idolatry, unbelief, um, as well as, um, I, I know, all the kind of things that might fill the eulogies of unbelievers. You know, go to a funeral of a total unbeliever, they're not a Christian, but they'll talk about going to heaven, and they'll talk about the, the wonderful person this person was, all the wonderful traits that they had been before man, you know, they were, the guy was a family man. That's a good thing, right? But apart from faith in Christ, it's futile. There's a lot of good men in hell. In the sense, good in the sense before, before men, they, they whatever. Uh, but, but to try to earn one's own salvation uh, and not, not, the, not even thinking of that, not even thinking that they need salvation because they're a good man, you know, um, futile. And so it says, knowing you are going to conduct yourselves with fear, knowing that you've been ransomed from that. You are set free from that. Um, how? Not with, the per- not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Why is the blood of Christ precious? But what does precious mean? Precious means valuable, expensive. Um, partly it would be, oh, we're out of time, so uh, it's precious because it's the blood of God. Um, it, Paul says in, in Acts, um, you were uh, shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. God purchased it with his blood. That's the blood of God, and some people might not. They'll say, no, it's the blood of Jesus. Jesus is God. So the blood of Jesus is the blood of God. Our God has blood. Um, 
That, that makes the, the blood of Christ precious. It's precious because it is of a lamb without blemish or a spot, because of his perfection, because of his holiness as well. The, the, without blemish, or, remember that was a, a criteria for the Passover lamb, to be without blemish, a, lamb, a one-year-old lamb without blemish. Um, it is precious because it was shed. That's what, in Revelation, when they, the, the, all in heaven, they, they laud the lamb who was slain because with your blood you purchased men for God. It is precious because it was paid for you, which is what he uh, says. Yeah. Yeah. So, be, so um, the precious blood. So I'll just leave you with the, the thought, and we'll, we can pick it up next week. If the blood of Christ is precious, then we should treat the blood of Christ as precious, right? When we handle the blood of Christ, we get the chance to. We've talked about that a little bit before, uh, how the, you know, the vessel that we carry, how we conduct ourselves, how we, 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 we put it in, in silver and gold, which is the best we can do. <laughs> what else do we have? What, what would be better um, to carry the precious blood of Christ? Um, I mean, we could put jewels on it and make it, you know, we saw that, like $20,000 expensive. We don't have to do that. Um, but we are confessing that this is precious to us. And it's, yeah, it's precious and it's precious to us as well. Um, let's close. Our hymn, praise to thee in adoration. Let's just, uh, let's just sing stanza two. <clears throat>